Broadcasting live from the RNR studios in Las Vegas, Nevada. It's the premier destination for an inside look into the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. Presented by Tequila Embajador. And then in terms of rugs, uh, you know, rugs didn't have an off-season program last year like a lot of these rookies. And uh, he got hurt in the first game against Carolina and uh, got the coronavirus last year, missed some more time. But he's a big reason why Darren Waller had a big year because of the threat of rugs. And we don't want to just have rugs be a threat. We like him to be uh, on the receiving end of a lot of those threats. So we're trying to get him more and more involved in the pass offense. And so far, so good. That's Raiders head coach John Gruden last week, the last day of minicamps, talking about Raiders second-year wide receiver Henry Ruggs, uh, who goes into what I think and what a lot of people think uh, are is a big year uh, for Henry Ruggs and for the Raiders. Uh, they need to get more out of Henry Ruggs. As John Gruden explained in that soundbite, there were obstacles that were working against Henry Ruggs. These aren't excuses. They're the reality of the situation. I was in Carolina, Charlotte, uh, when Henry Ruggs got hurt last year. Um, and if you, and if he, he was, he had a pretty decent game, uh, in, in that game. And, uh, I think that had that been able to continue without the injury, uh, his year would have looked a little bit differently, maybe quite a bit, uh, differently. Uh, but he got banged up early in that game. It kind of lingered, uh, it, it pushed him behind a little bit. Um, and as a result, uh, then he, you know, the COVID-19 reared its ugly head. Uh, and as a result, his usage, uh, I don't think was what the Raiders, uh, had planned for it to be, um, but that's okay. Uh, he still helped the offense. It was the top uh, t- a top 10 scoring offense in the NFL. Uh, they knew that there were some uh, boxes he needed to check off in the offseason. It looks like he's checked those boxes off. He now has a uh, full season under his belt. He has a full offseason program under his belt, something that wasn't uh, available to him last year. Uh, And he could very well be set up for a big season uh, this year. And the Raiders need that. And I want to talk about where he fits in and how the ball is going to get dispersed this year. There's one football and there's a lot of people that need to be fed this year. A lot of guys that can, uh, you know, do damage, be productive, uh, help this Raiders offense out. It's, it's more versatile, I believe, this year than the next year. Now, some of that is predicated on Brian Edwards getting better. Some of that is predicated, obviously, on Henry Ruggs getting better. Foster Moreau now being fully healthy uh, and being involved more uh, in the offense. Uh, but when you start Kenyon Drake uh, making his impact, when you start looking at what's available to the Raiders this year, we're going to get into this. Uh, if, if they do a good job of getting the ball into the hands of these players, playmakers enough time for them to do damage this offense i think has a chance uh, to take a, a whole other step forward and it was pretty darn good last year but i think it has a chance to be even better uh, this year by the way you're in the huddle with Vinny bonsignor brought to you by tequila embajador i want your calls 702-365-9200 uh, i threw this out on twitter how do you think the ball gets dispersed? How many targets uh, do you do you envision uh, for Darren Waller, Henry Ruggs, Brian Edwards, Hunter Renfro, Willie Sneed, John Brown, Foster Moreau? Um, you can even throw Zay Jones in there, uh, perhaps. Um, what about how many carries and t- targets uh, for Josh Jacobs and Kenyon Drake? You know, I'm looking at some some 
models uh, that, that that I think the Raiders would be well served uh, to kind of emulate a little bit. You look at the Cleveland Browns last year uh, and Kareem Hunt and uh, Chubb, the, the, the co-running backs uh, for the Cleveland Browns, uh, 198 carries for Hunt, 190 carries for uh, Chubb. Would you be okay with that? With Josh Jacobs, uh, Kenyon Drake in a in a, in a Drake Jacobs uh, tandem, 190 for Chubb. He had 1,067 yards. Uh, Hunt had a, 198 carries. The um, uh, yards per carry weren't quite as good. He had 841 yards. That's not a bad uh, uh, total for your two top running backs. And by the way, it keeps both of those guys fresh. Um, you know, you look at last year and uh, Josh Jacobs. Uh, I, he had well over 200 yards, 200 carries. Um, I'll get the uh, the exact total here in one second. He had 273 carries last year. Would Josh Jacobs be better served right around that 190, 200 carry total, even in a 17-game season? Uh, maybe get him uh, into the 200, but, but also uh, get Kenyon Drake right around the same amount of carries. Would that be better off for the Raiders? Think about that. Nick Chubb. Or Chubb, right? Yeah, uh, 190 carries last year for the Cleveland Browns. Kareem Hunt, 198 carries for the Cleveland Browns. That's not a bad idea. That's not a bad way to go. Kenyon Drake is fully capable of carrying that kind of a load. And in Josh Jacobs, you may get a better Josh Jacobs, a better Josh Jacobs at the end of games, a better Josh Jacobs at the end of the season. And keep in mind, this is a 17-game uh, season this year. Um, so you start looking at, okay, um, that's what, uh, uh, 300 and some odd, that's almost 400 carries right there between two players. I think that's completely fine when you're talking about how good Kenyon Drake is and how good Josh Jacobs uh, is. Now you start talking about you know, throwing the balls. Last year, the Raiders, um, there were 523 uh, targets uh dispersed through the course of the season along to uh, and that went with 457 run plays all right so um obviously darren waller was the uh was was the go-to guy with 145 targets uh next up was nelson aguilar with 82 targets hunter renfro had 77 targets um Josh Jacobs was targeted 45 times in the past game. Devontae Booker was targeted 21 times in the past game. Henry Ruggs, and this is where I think this needs to change big time. Henry Ruggs was targeted 43 times. Remember yesterday we talked about the Los Angeles Rams uh, in 2019 and how they were able to really figure out a way to move the ball around. Todd Gurley carried the ball 256 times. Uh, his backup, Malcolm Brown, carried it 43 times. Uh, C.J. Anderson came on late in the season, 43 carries. Um, and, you know, could you could you see Josh Jacobs doing that again, the 273? I don't think so. I think, it, I think his number comes down considerably. But I think that's going to make him a better player, and I think that he should be okay with that. Uh, and then Todd Gurley was targeted 81 times in the past game. I don't think um, maybe maybe between the two of them, between um, you know Kenyon Drake and Josh Jacobs, maybe they can combine for 81 targets. I don't think that that would be a, a bad thing uh, whatsoever. But then you look at the Raiders' uh, receivers, 130 uh, targets for Robert Woods, 117 for Brandon Cooks, 55 for Cooper Cup, but he missed eight games. So in reality, if you combine uh, uh, his, his targets 
with his backup, uh, who was Josh Reynolds, who came in uh, for for uh, Cooper Cup. He got 53 targets over the eight games that he started in place of Cooper Cup. So that's 108 targets right there. So that's three guys that had well over 100 targets. Uh, if you combine Cooper Cup and Josh Reynolds, because they were kind of one and the same, because again, Cooper they, they split the, the 16 games, eight and eight. Gerald Everett, tight end, uh, had 50 targets. Tyler Higby, uh, the other tight end, had uh, 34 targets. Okay, so the rate, the Rams, and that's that's 548 of, of those uh, that, helped accumulate um, or came close to, uh, uh, you know, took a big chunk out of the 545 total targets uh, that the Rams had that uh, that year. So there's, if you think of it along those terms, last year the Raiders had 523 targets, 457 runs. I think that that will increase, A, because it's going to be a 17-game season this year, but also, B, I think the defense uh, does a better job of getting the ball <laughs> back to the offense uh, more frequently. So that's going to uh, increase the amount of offensive plays, offensive snaps, offensive chances that the Raiders take. So let's get down to the bare uh, knuckles here. Um, of those, let's say let's say the, the, the Raiders get close to the 545 targets that the Rams had in 2018. Uh, it might be a little bit more because of the 17th game. Uh, the Rams also ran the ball 459 times. So that was a pretty good, not not quite 50-50, but it was darn near. Uh, it was That's a nice ratio uh, if you're talking about run uh, to pass. When you look at the Raiders' um, skill players, you got Josh Jacobs, Kenyon Drake, Darren Waller, John Brown, Henry Ruggs, uh, Brian Edwards, uh, Hunter Renfro, Willie Sneed, uh, Zay Jones, if you want to throw him in there, Alec Ingold, Jalen Richard, Foster Moreau. That's 12 players. And you're looking at about, let's say, 550 targets in the pass game and 460-ish run uh, run plays. How do you want to see that get dispersed? And for me, first on that list is I think um, I think Henry Ruggs needs to get. He had forty three last year. That needs to be in the eighty five to ninety range, flat out. I think you can take um, you know the one hundred and forty three or so that Darren Waller uh, was targeted. Maybe maybe reduce that by twenty or so. Maybe even. 30. Keep it in the 100. Uh, you know, like I said, Brandon Cooks had 117. Robert Woods had 130 that year. Um, but because there's so many more weapons, I think, uh, for the Raiders, I think spreading the ball around a little bit more and taking advantage of some of the favorable matchups that the Raiders are going to get. Take, take um, Waller down from the 140 uh, plus down to about you know 110. Now you've got 30, 30 some odd uh, more targets to spread it around with, um, you know, uh, Henry Ruggs, with Foster Moreau, with Brian Edwards. Uh, again, take, you know, you're going to take, obviously, um, uh, Nelson Aguilar out of the picture. He had over 80 targets, so that's going to get dispersed somewhere. My point is, is that there's no way, none, zero, that Henry Ruggs, if he's healthy, should not be getting... 80 plus targets this year. Uh, and I would say um, that the nine rushing attempts that he had last year needs to be in that 
20 um, range because I think he could do some damage uh, in the run game. It's just going to make this offense much more uh, diversified. I think, you know, when you're looking at somebody like a Foster Moreau, you take the targets that some of the targets that are going to be taken away from Darren Waller, the targets that went to Jason Witten last year, you put that, uh, you know, on Foster's uh, lap and I could definitely see him uh, being targeted 40, 45 times. I could see, Edwards getting 50 uh, targets this year. Hunter Renfro, maybe, maybe, you know, his 77 come down to 60 or so, but, um, and then, and then you've got John Brown, who I think uh, should, should touch the ball or be targeted 50, 50 times or or so this year. It's going to be really interesting because I think that there's a lot of talent uh, on this team and on this offense and uh, it's talent in a way that, the way it's kind of set up, I should say, and the various skill sets. You've got Kenyon Drake, who's a multi-skilled uh, kind of a player. You've got Josh Jacobs, uh, who did much better last year in his second year as a pass receiver. Again, I could see both he and Drake combining for the 81 targets that Todd Gurley got back in 2018. So you split those up 40 each. You know, imagine Josh Jacobs being uh, featured 40 times in the pass game. Imagine Kenyon Drake being featured 40 times uh, or more in the pass game, along with what you've got with Henry Ruggs and Darren Waller uh, and, and Brian Edwards. This has a chance to be a really, really good, fun, explosive uh, offense. But again, uh, we want your calls uh, to let us know what you think. 702-365-9200. How do you want this offense to shape up? Uh, we've talked about it so many times how this was a top 10 scoring offense, but there's areas where it can absolutely get better. Uh, It's on the margins, but a lot of times in the NFL with the talent being as competitive and equal as it is, a lot of times it's in those margins where football games are won. How do you do in the red zone? What are you doing in terms of uh, the turnover margin? Um, how are you doing on third downs, offensively and defensively? Uh, are you moving the chains on third downs? Uh, are you moving? Are you getting teams off the field uh, on third downs? Uh, it's those, and I and I really believe that the Raiders are now in a in a position where I I think they have enough talent. I don't think there's any question that they have enough talent on both sides of the ball uh, to a be more than explosive and more than productive offensively, but also capable on defense, effective uh, on defense. And so when you start thinking about, okay, uh, the Raiders have, for the most part, most of their bases covered uh, defensively, yes. Um, You're looking at a slot cornerback um, who's going to start in that position, but I think they'll get that sorted out, what's going to happen on the perimeter uh, out there between Casey Hayward and Damon Arnett. I think they'll get that sorted out. Uh, But when you start thinking about that, I think what the Raiders are starting to think about is we feel like we have the talent. Now we got to figure out a way to make sure, um, you know, you're getting off the field on third downs, you're creating more turnovers, uh, you're getting to the quarterback more. And I think it's kind of that finite. Um, and if they could figure out a way to do those things, this is going to be a pretty interesting year for the Raiders. I truly re- believe that we're going to go out to uh, Vegas Raider uh, talking about expectations. How are you doing Vegas Raider? Hey, how you doing? Love your show, man. First time caller. I appreciate uh, that. Thank you. I've uh, been a Raider fan for many years, and when it started looking like they were going to move here, <clears throat> my wife was just like, oh, my God, you're going to be so happy, and I am indeed very happy. What I want to talk about is I'm seeing 
I know Carr could be better, but I'm a, I'm definitely not a Carr hater. I'm a Carr lover, and I think he's a great quarterback. I think we're going to be a little shaky on the line because they're new, but that group last year wasn't together that much, and we still did well. Exactly. Uh, our, defense, our defense is going to be exponentially better from what I'm seeing. So from what for my vantage point, I'm seeing that we are going to be a lot better team than our Las Vegas books are saying we're going to be, or anybody for that matter. You know, Sports Illustrated and all these people who don't, it seems like they're not giving us enough respect, and I don't know why that is. Why do you think they think that we're going to finish last in AFC West or not do well? I, I think we are going to do well. I think Carr's going to have an MVP season, and I think our defense is going to, to just push us over the top and get us into the playoffs. Yeah, and uh, you know, I really appreciate the call, uh, uh, Vegas Raider. And I know that um, you know, I'm, 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 you know, I can only imagine how excited you were with the thought about your favorite team moving to your city. Um, but wow, it's just been above and beyond since I've been here. Just the fact that the Raiders are here, and really, honestly, how natural it all feels. Uh, this truly does feel like home for the Raiders, and it feels like that more and more every single day. Uh, and I, I can't wait for the stadium to open up to the fans for them to see uh, what that place looks like. And I, I can't wait just from my own perspective, uh, working, covering games to, to feel it and to hear it and to see it and to experience it. Uh, I just can't wait. Um, but to your to your original question, uh, I, I think that uh, here's here's a couple of things I think about. Number one, I think last year and the way the Raiders finished last year um, kind of that, that was a lasting image uh, that, that a lot of people had of the Raiders. And um, I know that there was a time when there were six and three, a lot of people were, were jumping on the bandwagon um, and, you know, and, and feeling pretty good about the Raiders. But there was a little bit of a national kind of a, a facade. They, they weren't, I don't think, seeing the complete picture even when they, when they were 6-3. and three. I think they were making too much of the 6-3 and three and not really looking at um, some of the flaws. And I've said this before, within the Raiders building, there was a lot of attention being paid to those flaws. They understood that that defense needed plenty of help uh, in, in all areas, including, unfortunately, because you hate to fire friends, uh, but new leadership that was needed uh, along that defensive, uh, in that defensive coaching staff. That's been figured out. Um, so, but, but from, so from the outside, it went from, oh, everyone was happy and excited about the Raiders nationally, like, wow, the Raiders are playing really good, to all of a sudden there's this second half collapse, which, I'm not saying it was predictable, that collapse, because it shouldn't have been. But there were so many flaws defensively that it's not that big of a surprise. They just weren't good enough or ready uh, to be able to make some key plays in some key moments against some really good teams like the um, you know Chiefs like uh, the Miami Dolphins when Fitzpatrick came off the bench. Uh, and, you know, with, with Justin Herbert uh, and, and the Chargers, uh, they, they weren't ready to do that. And I, and I think that there was quite a bit of coaching around that or trying to coach around that uh, last year. Uh, but inevitably, you know, if you have too many flaws, they're going to be exposed, and they were. Here's the thing. What, what I think that now what nationally people are missing is that and maybe they're just taking kind of a, a skeptical, um, you know, position on this. But if you look at what the Raiders did did during the offseason, some of those flaws that we're talking about got paid a lot of attention to. 
starting with number one, obviously, um, you know, bringing in Gus Bradley, a respected defensive leader who has a impressive track record of, of, um, of turning t- defenses around and building credible defenses uh, and capable defenses. That was number one. Number two, when you look at what they did along the defensive line with Unique and Gakwe, uh, who remember, the Raiders were interested in potentially acquiring him last year, but the cost to go get him was prohibitive in the uh, – they didn't want to um, surrender some of their draft capital in the future to get involved um, in, in in that, you know. But there was talk, and I know in talking to Unique Ngakwe, when we talked to him, he heard that talk. There was a connection there. And I can't sit here and say it almost happened, but I would imagine that there were some pretty uh, intense talks about trying to make it happen. It didn't work, but they eventually got their guy. Uh, and I, I, for some reason... I just think that that signing has been sort of lost in, uh, just got lost or swept under the rug nationally. I think here in Las Vegas, within that building, from what we saw too, watching uh, him out there, it was only a couple of days that we got a chance to look at Unique because um, you know he was doing his own thing during the voluntary phase of offseason program. But what we saw on, um, you know, on uh, during minicamp. That dude just looks different. I know that, you know, Derek uh, Derek Carr brought that up, but that's what we were thinking. I know I was when I was watching him that first day. I was like, holy cow, you know, this dude's the real deal. You can see why he's a little bit of a cut above everybody else and why he's done the type of things that he's done. I mean, there's only a handful of players since 2016 that have as many sacks and as many forced fumbles uh, as, as, as he does. He's one of like five players to do, um, you know, uh, X amount of sacks and X amount of forced fumbles uh, in the NFL. That's pretty high company. And there's some pretty good players that are on that list, but he's among them. And when you watch him, you realize this guy could be a difference maker. Uh, and, and, and really the, um, secondarily to his signing is what is how it, extends that rotation with Max Crosby, Cleve Farrell. You bring in a Malcolm uh, Kuntz, the rookie from Buffalo, uh, who has a chance, I think, uh, to get on the field situationally. Don't forget about Carl Nassib. Um, he's, he should be able to, if he can get back uh, to form, you're talking about a guy who you know can give you five, six sacks off the bench, and that's not insignificant. Um, and, and then you look at what they did, on the interior of the defensive line, bringing in Solomon Thomas, bringing in Quentin Jefferson, um, adding it to Jonathan Hankins, bringing in Darius Phylon. So while individually that might not be like, oh my gosh, um, you know, this guy is so, this guy is an all pro player. Not necessarily saying that, although Unique Ngakwe has that kind of capability, but collectively, It's a pretty darn good and deep group that should be able to give the Raiders what they need from a pass rush. So I don't think that that and bringing in Casey Hayward and what they did in the draft uh, in in the secondary, I think for whatever reason, it's kind of getting overlooked. Or maybe it's just a healthy skepticism uh, nationally. Uh, But I agree with you. I think that people are overlooking some of the things that the Raiders did in an area that they had to get better. And if they can get better, if they hit on those specific uh, players that they brought in, along with that offense that they have coming back and the additions that they've made offensively, there's no question that the Raiders should be in playoff contention. It would be, at this point, a 
big disappointment uh, if they aren't. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila Embajador. Interact with the show. Text Vinny at 69187 or tweet at him at Vinny Bonsignor. This is In the Huddle with Raiders beat writer Vinny Bonsignor on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. She said it was Tuesday to start the show. It's Wednesday. Come on, Vinny. Get with it. It's been a crazy week. What can I say? Uh, I apologize, but it is Wednesday. You are in the huddle. Uh, this is Vinny Bonsignor and uh, brought to you by Tequila Embajador. We're going to go out, right out uh, to the Raider Nation listener line uh, because Madro is on the line. He wants to talk about the Raiders. How are you doing, my brother? I'm doing great, Vinny. Um, you know, today, I, you know, listening to you, I always, I really enjoy it because, you know, first of all, you're out there. You get to watch these guys. So you have an inside shot. At it. Plus, you covered a, um, I won't say championship team, but a team that really competed for one. So, you know, you have a better shot at knowing what's going on. And I know you don't want to get too excited because then you put your reputation on the line if they falter. <laughs> but this Raiders team, and get, don't get me wrong, I've been following the Raiders closely since 1963, but even way more closely since 1976. Uh, it's been a long, long time, long run. I've seen the good and the bad of it. Um, but, I, again, I just see that they are deeper almost at any position that they've been in so many years, it's hard to remember which year. But also, there's a kind of a deja vu all over again kind of thing in that last time uh, Coach Gruden was here, his first two years, eight and eight, eight and eight, and then they went twelve and four, and that's when they had, you know, they run with Gannon, and every year they were really competitive. They got kind of screwed a few times, and I think it cost them a championship. But this time, the first year, I throw that out because they just got rid of everybody. You know, it was time to rebuild. So second year, seven and eight. Third year, eight and eight, and here we come. And I'm, I think it's going to be a twelve and five year. And I think they're going to do some real damage. If they get lucky, stay relatively healthy, they could make a real run at this thing. Um, we kind of have, I mean, Kansas City is great. We kind of have their number. You know, we, we, we compete with them. We showed it last year, and we're a better team this year. Uh, San Diego, they're obviously up and coming. They've got a great young quarterback. But two things. And I think he brought it up once that, you know, he, he got to play his rookie year without crowd noise. Wait till he has to call signals when he can't hear his own head. And uh, on top of it, there's been a whole offseason where defensive coordinators all over the league have gotten to look at him. And, you know, these coaches aren't stupid. They figure I'm going to interrupt you right there and throw yeah. one other aspect into that, Badro, and you know this. He's going to get that in his own stadium, unfortunately. There's going to be many times at SoFi Stadium because there's so many more seats available now. And for other fans to buy, trust me when I say that, it's going to be a home crowd for almost every team that goes in there, to be honest with you. That's the sad truth of the situation. Can you imagine him? Not not only does he have to go to Allegiant Stadium in Kansas City and everywhere else the Chargers go uh, to play and having to deal with all those fans in opposing stadiums, but the fact of the matter is he's going to run into some of that in his own home. So that's just another thing. And I'm not, you know, I think Justin Herbert is all that. I loved the kid when I saw him at the senior bowl and wrote about him. Like, this is a really good quarterback right here. Why are people sleeping on him? But I think for all these young quarterbacks and him in particular, maybe even doubly so 
he's got a big adjustment to make uh, with that element now being back in the uh, equation. Um, one of the, I think one of the best bets in town, and it's not just because I'm a homer. It's you know I, I can be a homer on everything Raiders except for when it comes to my money. But I think the best bet in town is the over under at seven and a half. This seventeen game season, they're saying the Raiders are going to go seven and ten, and this is a team that in this first seventeen game season literally has 10 home games, which plays into your point. First of all, the added game, they happen to be the home team this year against Chicago. So that gives them um, a 9-8 advantage home field. But they also have the Los Angeles Chargers game in Los Angeles, which is a home game for the Raiders. Has been every year. It's going to continue that way. So they got 10 home games and 7 on the road. So, that's a Monday know, night game too against the Chargers, if I remember correctly. So that's just going to be—it's going to be insane at SoFi Stadium when the Raiders roll into town. Um, I feel bad for the Chargers, um, but a lot of in a lot of ways, it's their—it's their own uh, doing. One day I'll get into you know why I kind of tried to advise them a little bit, like get, just giving them my thoughts about, hey, would you think about if you're coming to Los Angeles, just you know, drop the chargers, drop all of that. Just come to LA and say, Hey, help us pick our name. Help us pick our logo. Help us pick our, 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 our colors. Los Angeles has never had its own team. Remember the Rams came from Cleveland. Uh, the Raiders came from Oakland. Uh, the Rams came back from St. Louis. And of course the chargers came from San Diego. So there was no real true Los Angeles born and bred football team. The chargers could have mined, um, um, hijacked people in Los Angeles and said, Hey, forget the chargers let's be the la um you know monarchs or whatever the case might be uh and help us and jump on board and be a part of this but they just didn't listen i felt like they would have had a better shot at maybe capturing more fans that way than just being the chargers who nobody cared about the chargers in los angeles for years even when there weren't any teams in Los Angeles, nobody really paid much attention uh, to the Chargers, unfortunately. They had 20 years to cultivate that market, but they never did. Uh, Madro, you know I appreciate the call. Uh, always uh, give us a call. We, we enjoy the insight uh, and, and the knowledge, uh, so don't be a stranger. Uh, we're going to go out to the Raider Nation guest line and welcome in my good friend, my colleague and teammate over at the Las Vegas Review Journal. Uh, you could follow her at at underscore uh, Cassie Soto. Um, she's extremely talented in so many different ways, uh, and I'm glad to have her on the show for the first time, the first of many, hopefully. Uh, but without further ado, Cassie Soto, thanks so much for spending some time with us in the huddle. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Vinny, and tough time to be a Chargers fan out there listening to that segment, huh? Well, I mean, <laughs> you know, it kind of is what it is, and um, yeah. unfortunately for them. And, I, you know, it, it's so interesting you know, having been in Los Angeles, Cassie, and I know that, um, you know, there's some, are, is there, are there Charger fans in your family? Do I, do I get that? Am I um, reading that one correctly? Or No, there's Raiders fans in my family who bought Charger season tickets to go to their second quote unquote home game there. Thank you very much. That is a real <laughs> factor. But when you think about, when you think about the Chargers and we'll just give a quick little history lesson here. Um, if you go down to San Diego, and anyone who knows California knows that, you know, in, in when you're in San Diego, you're right at the border of Mexico, literally. And to the north of you is obviously first Orange County and then Los Angeles. Well, the Chargers were big in San Diego. 
but there was nothing really to the south of them to be able to build out a real found fan base and to the north of them for most of their existence was either the rams in los angeles or there then in orange county or the raiders in los angeles as well and even when those two teams weren't there they hadn't done much to really grow themselves up north, um, north of where they were. So they were this kind of little team that was tucked away uh, down on the border um, there in San Diego. And But other than that, other than their hardcore fans there, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find a national feel for them, let alone yeah. in California. So, uh, and, and I think it was a, a misread on their part, and they should have taken advantage of it when the Rams and Raiders weren't there, but so be it. That's something that they're going to have to uh, overcome. All right, Cassie, before we get to the Raiders, um, I think you need to take, uh, maybe perhaps, I don't know, maybe, maybe you're uh, out on that cliff as well, but what's going on with the Golden Knights, and are they going to be, do they have it in them uh, to rebound here and win two games in order to get to the Stanley Cup? Man, I have no idea. So the family, again, big Golden Knights fans. I was over there watching it with us. And I'm going to be honest here. I've got $40 against them. So I have rooting interest somewhere else. I'm trying to take my dad's money. Um, so we'll see what happens. But the Soto family is obviously rooting for the Golden Knights, and they have been since they got here in Vegas. Um, I don't know what's going on. I think they need a couple more forwards to score some goals. Um, the defense, the defense defensemen have been holding it um, holding it down for them so hopefully they can get it together on the first first few lines but we'll see what happens They've been kind of the comeback kids uh, in this yep. in this playoff run, so maybe that's just maybe that's just their mo. Maybe they have to get pushed into that kind of a corner uh, in order to uh, to respond accordingly. But we will see. All right, Cassie. So it's been uh, about forty eight hours uh, since since Carl Nassib's uh, huge announcement uh, on Monday that kind of came out um, like a lightning bolt from 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 out of nowhere. Um, I think what we've seen in the forty eight hours since uh, has been, generally speaking. Uh, quite uh, positive for him uh, and positive for, for that community, uh, the NFL, the Raiders, his colleagues, his peers. Um, there's been a lot of support um, for him. Uh, do you feel like this is how it's going to be um, and, and probably should be? Uh, or could this story take a little bit of a turn uh, at all? Are we going to, is there anything, you know, maybe hiding behind a corner where um, it, it, it can challenge what's, what's mostly been a very, very positive story? No, I think right off the bat, um, it, like you said, it's been extremely positive. We saw his jersey as the top-selling jersey or was the top-selling jersey um, these last few days. The NFL matched his donation of $100,000 to the Trevor Project. So that's obviously been huge. And, and again, like not to knock on the NFL, but like is this some, a cause that we should have not already been donating to? It takes one person, right, to start uh, to start this trend. And, it, and that was Carl Nassib and, and excellent on him. And um, we were talking a uh, quick plug on the Vegas Nation podcast for listeners to go listen to that on the Vegas Nation podcast. Absolutely. You know uh, we were saying that Carl just basically said it so matter of fact, like, here's, here's the deal. Here's who I am. Take it or leave it. I'm going to move forward. I think in his actual text on the Instagram clip, he said, hey, media, like, I don't want you guys reaching out to me. I'm not doing this for attention. And here we are, right, talking about it a few days later. But it is just such a big moment in the NFL that we have to talk about it. Um, I hope it doesn't take a negative turn. I hope that this doesn't become who he is, right? Your sexual orientation shouldn't make you the person that you are. Um, it should definitely play a part in who you are. And as he said, he hid this for 15 years, and this is a huge part of him, of him 
but it shouldn't be the storyline going into every game of where Carl Massive. Remember, he said this. Uh, it shouldn't be the storyline moving forward after this. I completely agree, and we're talking to uh, my colleague and teammate over at the Las Vegas Review Journal and good friend Cassie Soto. You can find uh, all of her great stuff. Uh, just uh, download the app Vegas Nation or, or type it in VegasNation.com uh, on the computer, and uh, you'll be able to access all of her uh, great work, uh, everything else that we do uh, covering the Raiders, and and, uh, and and we do it for you guys, so we're, we're more than happy and honored uh, to play that role. Um you know, you mentioned something uh, I think that was uh, poignant in the in the respect that this shouldn't be the story about him, and this and this shouldn't be the story that defines him. Or, or um, I would I can't I, I don't want to say sabotages the Raiders season, but becomes uh, such a big part of the story moving forward for the Raiders. And I wanted to ask you the fact that he did it now. Um, there's there's a good four weeks before the opening of training camp. Uh, a, um, by the time training camp, you know, comes around, this story will have, you know, uh, perhaps kind of died down, I guess is the mm-hmm. best way to put it. But then also, Cassie, the fact that, you know, we don't, it, uh, there's so much because of COVID-19 that has restricted our access uh, to the teams that we cover and will continue so for, um, you know, an undetermined uh, amount of time. Do you think that the restrictions are in place uh, uh, in terms of the access and the time now between the announcement and training camp uh, will have kind of created this little buffer zone where it doesn't overwhelm the Raiders this season. It doesn't overwhelm Carl Nassib and it doesn't become the prevailing story um, uh, about their season. I think so for sure. Like, I mean, I don't know if he calculated this announcement, if he just that day on Monday finally had the courage to say it, but you're right. Had he have waited right the day before training camp or July 20 something to say this, then it would have been a big storyline going into training camp and it would have shifted our gears a little bit, right? On Monday, we were supposed to be talking about safety Trayvon Merrick signing. And then I text you like, hey, Vinny, you good to go? And you're like, uh, a little busy, Cass. And I realized what the news was. Um, so, yeah, definitely, you know, changed gears. And, and I think, yeah, once the season gets started again, I don't think it's going to be the main storyline. I think it's important maybe to mention it again just to – to pay respect to the courage that he had to make this announcement. But I think once Monday Night Football is going on here in Las Vegas, there's going to be so many other things to talk about that it'll just be just a bullet point. How important was Derek Carr um, saying what he said, how he said it, and just you know coming out there kind of as the face of the franchise, as the leader of the team, the quarterback, all of those things that come along with that responsibility uh, and coming out, um, you know, and, and coming out and expressing his love for Carl Nassib and his support for Carl Nassib and how, hey, time to go win a championship with Carl Nassib and everybody else in that, lo- like, uh, that Raider locker room. Yeah, kind of weird, like, in the, in the moments that we're in, like, we need validation from the quarterback. Like, what's Derek Carr say? Okay, he's cool with it. Like, we're cool with it. Like, we should all just be okay with it, right, regardless of Derek Carr says. But I think it's huge to show. Obviously, you look at Derek Carr as the leader of this franchise, the face of this franchise, and him giving, you know, quote-unquote acceptance or however you want to word it, and, and, yeah, saying let's go get this done with Carl, I think is a good note for maybe Raiders fans who, who for whatever reason, their own beliefs weren't um, on board with this decision. Hopefully they look at Derek Carr and can follow his leadership and his positive attitude towards Carl Nassib and follow the same suit. Well, I'll say this um, to your point of, you know, it's 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 kind of 
not comical, but you know, w w I don't even know what the word is that we have to wait for his okay or, or yeah. for Derek Carr to say what he says. Um, because uh, to your point, I got hit up uh, both in emails and on social media. Well, he didn't say it publicly. He didn't do it himself. He went through you and other reporters. I'm like, come on, are you are you serious right now? Do it? Does it? You made it up, you, Vinny. You made up the quote. <laughs> Yeah, or or yeah, like is he not? Is he is he was he afraid to put his actual face? And it's like you're reading way too much into it. But I yeah. digress. People like to have the conspiracy theories and 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 read too much uh, into things. I guess that's what we do. But I just want to let everybody know he was sincere. Uh, it came from the heart. He reached out to him privately, which is really all that he needed to do in my mind. Uh, yeah. But I do think in a, in a bigger sense um, for the leader of the team to say, hey, we're all good with this. Let's go win a championship uh, on some level was uh, pretty important. Uh, all right, Cassie. So so uh, that aside, and we talked about this on the podcast yesterday, um, you know, Carl Nassib actually plays um, kind of a low-key big role in an area that the Raiders absolutely positively have to get better at, and that's along the defensive line. I know he's you know going to be coming off the bench, but as Gus Bradley uh, spoke last week about, he wants to build not just one good defensive line, but really two defensive lines to get the team through games so that there's gas left in the tank um, over in those last two minutes of games, that last minute of game, but then also a game. And then also later on in the season um, when everybody's kind of banged up a little bit, everybody's a little bit fatigued trying to get that unit in a better place toward the end of the season. And Carl Nassim, you know, now with maybe a weight lifted off of his shoulder, where do you feel like he fits in, and do you think there's a possibility that he can rebound from what was really, and honestly, and frankly, kind of a disappointing season for him last year? Yeah, right. right. Like, why wouldn't you want to take this platform and raise it? And now that you know you do, have, like, Carl has to know the spotlight's going to be on him a little bit. So use it to your advantage. Be better in practice. When training camp's on, you know, obviously we're going to be out there and and my camera lens is going to be focused on him. Just give the extra push. Now that you have the opportunity to help out, again, this defense that's been struggling for um, for quite some time now that needs help on, on all aspects, that needs those two lines, those defensive coordinator, Gus Bradley, said, I think you just go, you try to go above and beyond, and I think you do that, these players do that regardless. So like I said, now that the spotlight is on him and he has time to make it his moment, take full advantage of it while you can. And let's be honest, um, you know, obviously the offense scored plenty of points last, last year. They weren't perfect. Um, I think they've, they've done some things to try to get closer to perfect. Uh, not that that's possible, but, you know, um, adding some skill, a different skill set in, in, uh, in Kenyon Drake, getting a little bit younger, perhaps more physical along the offensive line, uh, putting more time into Henry Ruggs, uh, hopefully getting him uh, on track. That said, I think offense is one, is the most certain thing of the, about this Raiders team. It's really the unknown of the defense. To me, and I'm not going to put words in your mouth, um, but uh, we'll see what your thoughts are. To me, it all boils down to is, can the Raiders get competency from their defense? Because if they do, it changes everything. You got a chance to see them uh, in minicamp OTAs. Um, any thoughts about that side of the ball and where you feel um, improvements can be made and whether it's possible that they can give the Raiders offense enough support for this to be a team that can seriously contend for the playoffs? 
Yeah, just talking from minicamp, I mean, the players that stood out right away just off of pure size and like and, and their energy were the Max Crosby's, were Cleland Furrow, and unfortunately the secondary was pretty far away from us for most of OTAs and minicamp. Um, but I was obviously looking at Jonathan Abram, a guy who I think is probably a, a Raider Nation fan favorite, and they that's a guy that they want them to succeed. He's got that grit to him, um, and the guy that could be a leader um, on the defensive side of the ball. So you, you look at guys like that and think, okay, can they come into uh, now with a few years under his belt, can he step up and make these moves and not make mistakes like that Kansas City game? And if everybody, I think more than anything, Vinny, if everybody just sticks to being able to do their job, their one job, right? You, you've got your own task at hand. Don't try to do somebody else's job. Don't try to overthink anything. If you can just simplify it now under um, Gus Bradley's direction, I think that they have the potential to be a really good defense and to, to step up and to help the offense when they need it in the final few seconds to win some games throughout the second half of the season, things don't just totally collapse. All right, last question, Cassie Soto. Um, yes, the defensive backs were pretty far away. But they weren't too far away that we didn't get a glimpse of a very conspicuously used Damon Arnett. And when I say used, I'm kind of being a little bit um, uh, like like liberal with that word because I didn't really see him being used much. I saw him doing a lot of watching and observing. And maybe that's the plan. I don't know. We don't know. Nobody really spoke on it. Um, but how weird was that and how weird was the vibe uh, during these OTAs and minicamp when we're talking to players and coaches about the 19th overall pick in last year's draft? It was real weird, Vinny, because even when you look at last year, the guy had a, his arm wrapped in a cast, and he was still running drills, right? He was in there. But this year, when I go back and look at my video looking for that number 20 on the field, I see him sort of off to the side, kind of, you know, just standing, doesn't have his helmet on and a lot of the shots I got. And I think, right, we don't want to speculate what that meant, maybe that was his task, to observe, to watch it. But I didn't see him running a whole lot. I saw him standing a whole lot, and I don't know what that means. Obviously, come training camp, if that's happening there, then we can really, you know, bring up the issue. Uh, but, yeah, that was real weird that we didn't see him getting a lot of reps in um, the last few times we were out there at the Henderson headquarters. Well, we will see what it all means come training camp, and it's uh, right around the corner, um, just over four weeks away, if that. And uh, so uh, it's 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 humming right along, and uh, we'll be right there to uh, to cover all of that. Uh, Cassie Soto, thank you so much for spending some time uh, in the huddle. Uh, appreciate the insight and the enlightenment. Please don't be a stranger, uh, and we won't be a stranger uh, on your end as well. Thank you very, very much for spending some time with us. Uh, take care of yourself. Have a great day, and say hi to Archie for us. <laughs> You got it, Vinny. Thank you so much. Absolutely. That's Cassie Soto, my teammate and friend uh, over at the Las Vegas Review Journal. Like I said, uh, you can check out all of her videos. She does a tremendous job hosting our pregame show uh, that we do on Sundays and um, all the video reports that we do outside of practice. Um, and not just for the Raiders. She does a, a, a ton of work uh, for the Las Vegas Review Journal, covering all sports from a visual standpoint. Uh, and we appreciate uh, everything that she does and uh, glad that she could spend some time with us in the huddle the first, but certainly not the last. Uh, you're in the huddle with Vinny Monsignor, brought to you by Tequila and Bahadur. You're listening to Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. Now, back to your host, Vinny Monsignor. We appreciate it. Um, 
We're going to go out to the Raider Nation uh, listener line because Justin wants to talk about the Raiders. How you doing, Justin? Really, my guy. What's up? I'm doing good, my brother. How are you? Good, good. Hey, I saw your tweet about the offense uh, discussion today. I think it looks like a real dangerous unit, man. I think uh, the only thing that's still the question mark is going to be the line. I think as long as they look as good as they looked last year, I think uh, this is definitely going to be a top-10 offense again. I think adding uh, Drake to the running back room, I, I don't see why Jacobs and Drake can't run for 800 yards apiece with a six-pack of touchdowns to go with that, man. I mean, they just complement each other so well. Jacobs needed to load off his shoulders a little bit so he can, you know, fulfill his full potential. Um, I think the sleeper, though, that nobody's talking about, and it's kind of kind of a crime, in my opinion, is, is what Foster Moreau is going to be to the team this year. I just I really don't understand how defenses are going to be able to cover, you know, a two-tight end set with Ruggs on the outside, maybe Edwards the other outside receiver, and Waller, because you have to double-team one of the two guys. Foster's coming off of, you know, the ACL injury. He's at 100% again. The dude's just going to be a playmaker, and I think he's going to surprise a lot of people this year. I just wanted your opinions on that, my brother. Yeah, um, and a couple of things. Uh, what do you think, real quick, what do you think about, uh, when you look at the Cleveland Browns, Kareem Hunt, 198 carries last year. Nick Chubb, 190 uh, carries uh, last year. Do you think it it, 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 it it works good for the Raiders to go to to to, uh, to maybe have that kind of a model uh, with the Kenyon Drake Josh Jacobs tandem? It can work. The, the only question is who's Gruden going to give all the the looks to? You know, there's only one ball to go around. And there's only so many playmakers on the field. I, I think they should go a little bit more run heavy this year. I mean, that's why you sign a guy a guy like Drake. You know, to, to be able to have that yin and yang. Uh, backfield attack and I, I I would hope I mean look at the Browns offense how much they skyrocketed when uh, Hunt added to the to the running back room I, I think they definitely can do that but again it's like how do you get Ruggs the ball how do you get Edwards the ball when this is the year that they need to be blossoming and developing into those receivers that they think that we think they're going to be you know yeah, I think I think they run the ball, uh, you know, um, four fifty times. You know, that, that's what they did last year. Um, and and if if close to two hundred or close to four hundred of those comes from to- those two backs, unless you know, there's there's obviously another seventeenth game this year, so that's going to jack it up. But I think keeping both of those guys healthy, keeping both of those guys fre- fresh, especially a Josh Jacobs, uh, I think. He's going to be able to, you know, with 200 carries, he's going to get his. Um, but also, he's going to be stronger, I think, at the end of games uh, and at the end of seasons. I think the two, the, the days of 273 carries for Josh Jacobs, uh, maybe that's t- biting off a little bit too much. Take that down, share it a little bit more with Kenyon Drake, and get the most out of both players. As for Foster Moreau, uh, I'm, I'm completely with you. And I think now that Jason Witten uh, is no longer in the picture and Foster Moreau is completely healthy, uh, I look at like what the Rams did last year. Um, you know, they had two tight ends. Um, you figure that Waller is going to get his 100 touches or 100 targets. There's no question about it. But maybe not the 142. You take some of those down. You maybe, maybe take it down to 100 or 110 uh, and then spread around those other 30 uh, targets. But I think that he could be foster somebody like a Gerald Everett who had 62 targets last year or a Tyler Higby uh, who had 60 targets last year uh, for the Rams uh, both of those players you know were able to get fed a little bit and I think if you if you feed foster in that 55 to 60 range 
he's going to be able to do some damage alongside, um, you know, uh, uh, Darren Waller offering a, a different kind of tight end uh, to offset uh, Darren Waller. So I think the touches and targets are there for everybody. Uh, it's just going to be how does what what numbers uh, does John Gruden dial up and where is uh, you know Derek Carr going with the ball? But I but I think that Derek Carr truly is one of the better quarterbacks for what looks to be a very deep set of offensive weapons. I think the way he sees the game, the way he gets the ball uh, out of there, the way he figures out what the, where the mismatches are, um, he's kind of like that point guard type of quarterback. And I think that with these type of weapons, Derek Carr is the perfect quarterback to have in that situation. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila and Bahadur.